Welcome back to The Lila Joe Show and welcome to season three. I'm Lila. I'm an elite ice dancer and a psychology student. I'm also very curious about people and the fascinating stories that we all have to tell. So today, please welcome my guest to share their story. Today's conversation is with Alyssa Kuchta. Alyssa is the founder and designer of FYB Jewelry, which stands for Follow Your Bliss. FYB's mission is to empower women and foster a positive female community through mentorship, resume building, and networking. Born in New Jersey, Alyssa is half Chinese and half Polish, the dichotomy of which influenced her childhood enormously. While studying psychology at the University of Delaware, she discovered her true passion and launched FYB during her senior year. Today, it's sold in 300-plus nationwide retail stores. In 2017, Alyssa was awarded as the Horn Program of Entrepreneurship's Most Promising Venture. FYB has been featured in the Huffington Post, Seventeen Magazine, and ABC7 News, among others, and it was a sponsor of the 2018 Glamour Woman of the Year Summit. Alyssa is currently engaged to be married this August and is publishing her first book this year. 2021 is definitely going to be a big one for the unstoppable Alyssa. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So my interviews are structured like workouts. So we're going to start off with a warm-up, some quick-fire questions, then move on into the longer period of high-intensity questioning, and then finish with a cool-down. Are you ready? That's great. You're ready for the workout. So (laughs) here's our warm-up. What was your favorite moment from your trip to Bali last year? Oh, that's a good one. Oh my gosh. Well, I went with my fiance and our two best friends, which was magical in itself, being with friends and getting away. And it was so gorgeous. I would have to say being out in the jungle, I loved Abud. So we went to Semenyang, Changu, and then Abud. There were three different uh, cities that we visited while we were there. And Abud had just this like magic energy to it. It was so calming. We went to like a rice paddy and like the dinners we had in the jungle. It just, the scenery there was unlike anything. It just was so inspiring, the whole entire, like everything about it, honestly, it was hard to pick one thing. I I don't Um, blame you. It was a tough question. What is your current favorite piece of jewelry? My current favorite piece of jewelry would have to be, I could show it to you right now, actually. Let's see. So our Esme chain necklace from our new collection. It's just the prettiest gold chain and it has a little lariat. Oh, it's um, so delicate. Like a bezel detail. And this necklace is so pretty because you can wear it in the front. You can wear it like a choker. I'm just really into the chunky gold chain trend. So for our new collection, we incorporated a lot of that in our designs. So you'll see a lot of like the chain styles. I love that. But this one for sure, the Esme necklace has been like my go-to. And in showing me the Esme necklace, I happened to see your engagement ring. Somebody just got engaged. Congratulations. (laughs) Crazy. So yeah, so it's it's, um, it's a vintage ring from the 50s, and that just goes to show how much my fiance Sam knows me. I always wanted a vintage ring, and I like things that are special and unique and have a meaning behind it. Uh, yeah. So he had researched and found um, this vintage dealer based in England, and the ring was from the 50s. And I think there was like he briefly mentioned to me the story, but it was an old couple that it was like their ring, and I think they passed away, and it became like I think it was an heirloom that got passed on, and. Um, I just love that there's like a love story behind the ring. It's beautiful. In that, you know, it's kind of like we're taking the torch and making it our love story now. Yeah, so. and you'll pass it on to your grandkids, I'm sure. Exactly. It feels like 
a piece of jewelry that my future granddaughter will inherit one day. So it's so beautiful. <laughs> Feels very special. So let's talk about your fiance. You're in charge of his Instagram bio. You have to write it. What are a few key details that you absolutely must include to introduce him to the internet? Man, I would say anyone that knows Sam would describe him as having the biggest heart of anyone they know. He is so, he's all love. Like I can't even describe it. He's so generous. He's so kind hearted. He would give the shirt off his back to a stranger. That's just kind of how he is. He grew up, he's one of six children. So he's the second to youngest in a family of six. He grew up in Iowa. Um, and he had four sisters or has four sisters. So he grew up as one of the only boys in a family full of women. So I think that also kind of influenced, you know, his ability to kind of always hang with the girls. Uh, but I would say heart of gold, extremely intelligent and just so generous and kind. Like he really always finds the good in people mm-hmm. and he would do anything for his loved ones. Like I can say that wholeheartedly. He doesn't have a bad or a mean bone in his body. He's always looking for the good. He's very fun. He's always lightening me up because I'm a very serious, I'm a Scorpio and I can get kind of serious and intense sometimes. And I think he is the light that I need in my life to kind of lighten me up and um, help me see the good in in everything. So he's he's the best. I can see you're so in love and I'm so happy for the two of you. Congratulations. That's, I love love and I love engagements and proposals and all of that and love stories. So I'm really thrilled for you. Now, what is life's simplest pleasure? Ooh, I love these questions. These are awesome. Thanks. Um, life's simplest pleasure. Oh, man. I feel like, honestly, a like strong, good cup of coffee. Ooh, waking yes. up. We have a backyard in our apartment in Brooklyn. I would say sitting back there, having brunch with Sam, like on a Saturday morning. Just think little things like that, like making pancakes together. I would say like that is a pleasure. And I guess a massage for me is everything. I think my favorite thing in the world is a good massage. So whenever I like feeling really stressed and I want to treat myself, I always will get a massage. That's like my one expensive treat that I do at least monthly. Those are Um, two staples in my life as well. Yes. (laughs) coffee and a massage. And who makes you laugh the most? Oof. I would say Sam. I'll be really like serious or stressed and he'll just like tickle me or just like say something funny or like send me a meme and then I'm suddenly like laughing hysterically. So I would say Sam and a lot of my really close friends, my friend Jordan, she is hysterical. I feel like whenever I'm with her, all I'm doing is laughing. Her sense of humor is insane. And then my friend Matt, one of my other best friends from college, he's also like just so insanely funny. I feel like when I'm with him, all we do is laugh too. So like best friends and Sam. So, Alyssa, our warm-up is over. How are you feeling? Are you ready to work out? Great. I'm ready to work out. Okay. Bring it on. Awesome. So, I always start with my guest childhood just to understand where you came from, your foundation, and how you've become the woman that you are today. So, let's start with a really special person in your life, your mother, who immigrated to the USA from China at the age of 35. What were her dreams moving to the USA? So my mom's backstory is really interesting. She was an anesthesiologist in China. She was married, she had a son. You know, this was communist China in the 80s, very different than it is now, where like there were so many restrictions, like pay everything. Like she was basically making the same money as nurses. That was really hard. And she had heard of like her friends in America, people that she had known and um, just doing well here as doctors. And she thought, what the heck? Why am I, you know, I'm in an unhappy marriage, which at the time she was. She, you know, loved her work, but she knew she was getting undercut. She wasn't getting paid what she was worth. And I think she had this dream of freedom and starting over. And she looked at, 
coming to the United States is like a fresh start, which has been a big lesson that I've always learned from her throughout my life is that you're never too old to make a change. Nothing is always, nothing is forever. And you're never too old or it's never too late to start fresh. You know, you can always change your career path. You can always move to a new country. Um, you know, there's never any limitation on what you can accomplish. But I think her biggest dream was coming here and kind of starting over in a way. Um, you know, I think that what she didn't realize was how expensive American medical school was going to be and that she wouldn't be able to, you know, rise the ranks like she did in China and have the same, you know, unless she went through schooling all over again because her degree meant nothing here. So that was the hardest lesson she learned was starting from the bottom up. But I think her dream was, you know, what everything America symbolizes, you know, freedom and ability to reach new heights. And also I think for her, because she was in an unhappy, mar unhappy marriage, it was a way for her to get out of that and kind of start fresh in her life. Which was really bold and brave because, you know, she was the eldest in her family. She's one of five siblings. And her father was a doctor, my grandpa, and my grandma was a nurse. And, you know, being in the medical field was in her blood. And um, she was the favorite of her father's children, and they were very close. And I think he also gave a lot of pressure. You know, in Chinese culture with the families, it's all about, like, they're very proud. And it's all about respecting and taking care of your elders. Mm. So that was another thing. When she left and she was the eldest of five siblings, like, that was a huge you know, it was hurtful to the family. Like, why do you want to leave us and come to this new country? She was the first of anyone in um, her family to come to the United States. So there's a lot of, I mean, it's a very mixed thing. I think, although it symbolized her dreams, I think it wasn't really accepted by her family. And of course, you know, getting divorced and leaving her husband, that was also very shameful. But I think she in her heart knew that she wasn't happy there. And she saw coming to the United States as like a beacon of hope and a fresh new life for herself which she always says, you know, the hardships that she endured coming here and everything that happened in her life leading after that, you know, led to having me and meeting my dad, which, you know, it was all for me. And she doesn't regret anything because she wouldn't have the daughter that she has if she didn't come here. So it's really interesting. And I think she's really served as a living example to me throughout my life of just what it takes. Like you need to have grit. You need to, you know, stick to your guns, believe in your dreams um, and work your butt off, you know, mm -hmm. and you can make anything happen because although she came here and started from the bottom up, she eventually worked her way up again in the medical field to be able to provide the life that we have. And, you know, she paid for my entire college tuition. And that to her was like such a huge accomplishment coming here with like $200 in her pocket, not having her degree anymore and having to like, you know, do all of these different jobs, hustle, like go to night school to get to where she is. Mm -hmm. So for my mother, it was never a matter of poor me or I can't accomplish that. It was more of like a do or die mentality where she had no choice but to work really hard to get to where she is now. Uh, what, so. an, what an incredible example to have in your life. And I know that there's another strong woman in your life who is your best friend, your grandmother, your nana. So when I talk about her, what do you feel? What imagery comes to mind? Oh, I would say she was tough. She was sassy. She was so much fun to be around. So my nana, and so she passed away when I was a sophomore in college. She lived a, a long life. Um, and so my parents both worked full time and we lived next door to her. So it was kind of the perfect situation because I would, you know, my, she'd always babysit me and I would just go to Nana's house and just walk across the yard because we shared a backyard. And so she literally lived next door. Um, and I think that was kind of an interesting influence in my life as a child growing up because, you know, I had friends, but I was always with my Nana and I was more introverted. And I feel like I always spent like my playtime with her was like sitting on her bed and going through her drawers and her jewelry box and trying on the baubles. Like mm -hmm. I have so many pictures from my childhood 
of me and like layered in Nana's beads because she had so many necklaces. <laughs> um, so I think that was kind of an interesting way to grow up, was just always being with her and wanting to be like her. The, like she would like set my hair in rollers and we'd have matching rollers, you know, like the old fashioned way of curling your hair. Mm. So she really was my best friend and she was like, you know, very sassy and quick witted and she was sweet and nice, but she also had this like feisty side to her, which I kind of appreciate. Like yeah. she never let anyone, she was kind of like the matriarch of the family too, in the sense where like everyone, you know, revolved around Nana and what she needed. And she kind of like, <laughs> which is a tough, she was a tough cookie and just an amazing woman. Oh, and what are your favorite memories from summers growing up in Maine with your dad? Good question. My dad and I, so my parents divorced when I was 10. And I think, you know, my dad and I were very, very close right after the divorce and, and through my childhood, but I feel like we were extra close right after we divorced. And summers in Maine together was kind of our way to bond. I feel like, you know, I live with my mom, but I saw my dad on weekends, but then going to Maine in the summertime was like our trip together. Um, and I was totally a daddy's girl, like for many years of my life. Like I was always, my dad was like the fun parent. My mom was like the strict Chinese mother. And then my dad was like the fun dad that never yelled at me, never said no, spoiled me. <laughs> You know, came to every cheerleading game that I had, or a basketball game that I was cheerleading at, rather. Um, he just was so much fun. And in Maine, we used to drive up together 10 hours in his pickup truck, mind you. And I was like a bratty teenager. And I'm like, oh, do we really have to listen to this? But looking back now, because I love the Beatles and I love the Rolling Stones, that's all we would listen to for like 10 hours. We'd play Abbey Road. We would play like the Rolling Stones. We'd be like, my dad would be singing along with like the windows down. And, you know, I loved it, but then I would get sick of listening to it. <laughs> and I'd be like, dad, like I had like my headphones in trying to listen to like, I don't know, like Beyonce or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, my dad is like blasting Rolling Stones. Um, but I would say like, now that I look back, like those are such precious memories, like driving on the dirt roads, listening to that music and going on the lake together, fishing, you know, we'd go fishing. Um, we used to have a lake house and we had boats and we would go out just the two of us for hours, you know, in the dead silent, like a dead still lake where... Like the, the water was so still, it almost looked like glass. I remember that, like mm. watching the sunset and just the only sound you heard was like the jitterbug on the water. Mm. I would say just those moments being together, I would say fishing with my dad and, you know, going blueberry picking just to truly be a kid and to run around in the woods and get mosquito bites and catch lightning bugs and, you know, go swimming and get a leech stuck on me, you know, yeah. even though I was screaming when that happened, I think I'm just so grateful to have had that childhood. Yeah. Um, and a big part of that was my dad. It sounds so idyllic in the way that you were describing it. I could just see the water and hear the jitterbugs and and it's just it just sounds beautiful. So you posted an adorable photo of you when you were little on Instagram and the caption that you wrote was little girls with dreams become women with vision. What was little Alyssa dreaming about and who helped sculpt these dreams into vision? A great question. I would say as a small kid, like as a child, I always was creative. I always was creating things or like, for example, my Nana had a flower garden and one summer I was so bored, honestly, that I decided, Hey, it'd be fun to start a flower business. I think I was like eight or nine years old. I was like toothless. I had like one tooth, you know, <laughs> you that awkward stage where I had like really short hair and I was like really awkwardly skinny and I'd run around with Nana. I always had like cups, uh, cuts and scrapes on my knees. And I like cut a bunch of her flowers and we went to the dollar store and bought little glass vases and I like made bouquets and she helped me. And we set up a little stand in front of her house. I'm like, would you like to buy a bouquet of flowers? Aww. I think I sold them for like $5 and I would go door to door to the, to the neighbors that we knew with my Nana selling these flower bouquets, which I think was my first entrepreneurial endeavor, to be honest, like looking back on that. 
I don't know. I think I was also very much a leader as a kid, like wanting to lead and wanting to teach um, and very sassy and very creative and always running around. So I think that's how I was as, as a child. I don't think I ever dreamt as a child that I knew I wanted to start a jewelry business. That didn't happen until I was in college. But I think all the groundwork was always there. I think mm. I really am who I still was as a small kid was, you know, being creative wanting to kind of teach and be a leader in some aspect, which through our brand ambassador program and through our company, I totally feel like that, you know, desire has been fulfilled and yeah. getting to teach and mentor young women yeah. um, and creating. I definitely still feel like that little girl is still inside of me. And I feel like I stayed true to who she was by starting oh. my business and with everything that I've done. Even starting my business, I felt lost when I was in college. I was pursuing psychology, changed my major, didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated. And I think that's the biggest thing I always tell others too. It's like, if you're feeling lost or overwhelmed or don't know where to begin, scale it back and just think about your childhood self. Like, who are you truly? Because for me, it really was scaling back and thinking about, well, who was I like as a child? What was a little Alyssa like? You know, what did she enjoy doing? And then really, you know, looking at the inner, my inner self and figuring out, you know what? I really am creative. I need to do something that, you know, inspires me where I'm making a difference and that I can really put my ideas out there and not just feel like I am a peg in a machine. So mm -hmm. I think it really comes down to really remembering who you were as a little girl and then everything else starts to come to fruition when you stay true to yourself. Well, I'm really happy to have spoken about your childhood because everyone listening is going to see how it's all rolled out and come together <laughs> so beautifully in your life. So you mentioned you were lost in college and you've coined the phrase mid-college crisis. Could you please define this for everyone listening? Yes. <laughs> so I was a junior in college when I had this epiphany that, oh crap, I even, you know, I loved psychology, but why did I choose this major? What am I going to do with my life after college? Do I want to go to grad school? I don't have anything in fashion or business. How am I supposed to get an internship or a job? Which at the time, looking back, it's like your major doesn't really matter. You can do anything you want if you just kind of get your foot in the door somewhere or work your connections or do an internship. But at the time, it felt like a crisis, like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? You know, I really felt so confused and overwhelmed, didn't know where to begin. And that was when I took a step back and started to get involved in, in other things on campus. So I started volunteering with Habitat for Humanity and Students for Haiti. I started working more hours at my part-time job, which is at a local clothing boutique where I really learned how to run a small business and learned about different designers. So I kind of took that feeling lost as an opportunity to, okay, how do I feel unlost. Like, how do I find myself again? Mm. Why don't I just try a bunch of different things and like, let my passion find me, you know, like do things that I'm interested in and then figure out what I enjoy doing, what I don't enjoy doing. And I always say that feeling lost is the biggest blessing in disguise because it forces you to do things out of your comfort zone. Because if you know you're unhappy and you're, you feel stuck, you have no choice but to stay stuck or to make a change. Yes. And I think, you know, when you're lost is when you're opening yourself up to new opportunities and you're willing to do things you haven't done before. You're willing to meet people that maybe you were too shy to put yourself out there to connect with. So I think it was like the best thing. Having that epiphany was the best thing that happened to me because it ended up leading me to start my business. And in putting your feelers out there to see, to find yourself, what were you doing alongside your studies that really set your soul on fire? Where was the spark on the sidelines? I would say there were a few things. So three things in particular are really what inspired me to eventually start FYB. I think the first thing was being in a sorority. I joined my sorority, Sigma Kappa, when I was a freshman. And joining the sorority really changed everything for me because it, you know, allowed me to meet so many amazing girls. And you're, you know, you're part of a tribe when you join yeah. a sorority. It's just really fun. Um, everyone, you know, is very positive and uplifting. And I feel like 
growing up, I didn't have sisters. I have a sister now who's 12, actually. She's my baby sister, but I grew up an only child. My brother lived in China. My half-brother, he came here to the U.S. and then ended up moving to L.A. So even though I have two siblings, you know, one is much older, one is much younger. I kind of grew up without any siblings. But I think, you know, joining the sorority really opened me up to that and just like the impact of being a part of a sisterhood and like a positive community, how much that brought me out of my shell. And, you know, I think that was really important and that inspired a lot of like, you know, my business today is having that community element and wanting to inspire other girls and bring them together and have mentorship. And, you know, it really is kind of like a mini sisterhood when you're a brand ambassador with us. Secondly, volunteering. So I did Habitat for Humanity, like I mentioned, and I was also on the board of Students for Haiti. And we did a relief trip down to Haiti during my senior year for spring break, which was incredibly, I mean, talk about the most humbling experience, eye-opening experience. Um, that really was a life-changing moment for me and made me realize how much I am passionate about making a difference and wanting to do something bigger than myself. And the third thing was really working at that job and working at the store that I worked in really taught me everything about merchandising, customer service, um, and you know, shadowing Mimi, who was my boss there, really taught me so much because she is an incredible woman and you know, she's so successful in business. She's had three store locations, you know, every year she's continued to crush it. And I think having her as a mentor really inspired me to want to have my own thing because I loved coming to work and she had like awesome music playing. We have a candle burning, had like beautiful displays. And that was like my little creative escape yeah. because I felt like I lacked that in my coursework. So I would go to work and I felt like, okay, this is fun. And basically seeing how Mimi ran her store made me realize, you know what, I could start my own brand. Like, let's do this. And it gave me the confidence to, and the skill set to know how to do it, how to get it off the ground. I love your brand. And for everyone listening, the way that you package all your jewelry is you have a little card attached with a beautiful quote on it. And everyone listening knows that I love quotes. So I thought it would be fun to intersperse a few of the quotes from your jewelry throughout this interview. And then also the, the piece of jewelry that goes with it. So let's start with the You're a Star Necklace. And the quote says, the closer we get to being who we are meant to be, the brighter we shine. So by aligning with your mission and gradually finding your way, what within you revealed itself that you didn't realize you had? Oh, I love that question. That is such a good one. And like I mentioned before, I think like, and like this quote mentions, the closer you get to being who you really are, the brighter you shine. When you reconnect with who you are deep inside and you listen to that voice inside of you, that knows the right thing to do that's when your talents come out that's what kind of pushes you further um beyond your limits beyond what you thought you were capable of i would say just my skills in business you know like i didn't take a business course i had no formal jewelry design background a lot of how i built the company was intuitive and i think through creating the business and doing everything from the ground up really showed me like how, you know, the skill set that I did have to really understand marketing from an intuitive way, you know, mm -hmm. understanding how to design um, based on my own aesthetic. I think I wouldn't have had the confidence to maybe pursue a career in that had I not just done it and then gotten the feedback and then realized, hey, like, I'm actually pretty talented. I can do this. You know, there's moments where you doubt yourself and you doubt your own ability. And I think the only way to build that confidence and to realize your skills is to just do it and get feedback and then get better each year and realize, you know, if I'm putting it out in the world that pe that there's a need for it and that people like what you're doing. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, like I think discovering that I have a knack for, for business and for marketing from a very intuitive way, which I think is also, you know, I've seen a lot of companies kind of come and go 
in the nine years that I've been in business and we've stayed strong, knock on wood, growing each year. And I think a lot of that is because I listen to my gut and I make big business decisions based on what I know in my heart is right. You know, I try not to get too kerfuffled with opinions and advice. I try to, you know, take that advice to heart, but then also always do what I think is best deep down. And it's guided me in a lot of positive directions um, by listening to my gut. It's it's so unique to have that introspection because a lot of people are swayed by other people's opinions. And I do want to talk about this later. It's so common, but it's really admirable that you've been able to quieten down the noise and really tap into your gut. So tell me about the light bulb moment when all the puzzle pieces fell into place, all those lists that you had made to figure out what your passion was. What did that light bulb moment feel like? I would say, so the light bulb moment kind of, it wasn't like a particular actual moment where I was like, oh yes, like I'm going to start a jewelry company. I think it happened over time by paying attention to the things I was interested in. So I used to keep a notebook and I, I'm a list maker. I'm very type A with my list making and being organized. And I started this notebook where I would just literally mental dump brainstorm. Okay. I'm feeling lost. Like who am I? What do I enjoy? What do I like? I had everything written on this list from the color purple to, I love jewelry to, I love volunteering. I love animals. I love, you know, being outgoing and meeting new people. Like anything you can think of, I would just jot it all down. And I think after a while, the dots started to connect when I realized, okay, how can I connect these passions? How can I do something that matters, that connects girls, that allows me to be creative with design? And so naturally starting a a company that would encompass those elements just kind of felt natural. And Mm -hmm. I think the light bulb moment kind of hit me going into my senior year that summer. So when I had the concept to start the business, I was on the board of Students for Haiti. And so what really pushed me was we were all, you know, as board members brainstorming ways we could fundraise for the group. And I was like, kind of like the fashion-y member of the group. And I was in a sorority and I had that, con- you know, the, the, the community of like girls and the reach I had. So I'm like, you know, I want to do something that I know the sorority members will purchase and do something trendy and different. So I thought of doing a bracelet as a fundraiser. So that bracelet is what really pushed me to want to like actually create something and test it out. And it was called By La Vie. That was the first line that I launched. This was in 2011. It was a fabric wrap bracelet. And I tell you, a skinny little piece of fabric and that was inspired by sorority t-shirts. So back in the day, I don't know if college girls really wear these anymore, but you know those like big block letter t-shirts yeah. with different patterns? Well, that was all the rage in like 2010, 2011. Um, there's one shop on campus where you can go and like get a custom shirt with like floral print or paisley or like gingham with like your sorority's letters on a t-shirt. So I thought girls love those patterns so much. Why don't I turn those patterns into a bracelet that they can wear while fundraising for students for Haiti? So that's what kind of really inspired me to really get the brand started um and then and I sold like I don't remember the exact count but we sold so many I think I was able to raise like a thousand dollars for the club which was a lot of money for a college student I think I was selling them for like 20 bucks each so we raised a substantial amount of money through the bracelet sales and then that kind of gave me the confidence to want to pursue okay what else can I create you know mm-hmm. I love doing necklaces and earrings and that summer I did a study abroad trip to Poland and Germany um, and while I was abroad, I visited all the Berlin markets and I went to like flea markets in Poland and I really was able to kind of, you know, collect and find really unique items, whether it was like a stone pendant or cool chain. And when I got back from my study abroad trip that summer, when I was home with my parents, I just started making jewelry and I would post photos about it on Facebook, but I had such a positive response and girls were messaging me like, are you selling these? And I was like, Hmm, like not yet, but I could be. And then I launched a website and then that, um, 
fall semester, when I got back to school, I did a trunk show on campus. And that was really what gave me the confidence. So we sold out, like I sold out of everything that night. I think I made $800 my first trunk show. And again, a lot of money for like a college kid that was making like 15 bucks or maybe even less. I think I was making like 10 bucks an hour at the time. So to make that amount of money and like a two hour trunk show, I was like, whoa, okay. Like there's something here. I'll never forget. That was my true light bulb moment. I would say the idea for the business was a moment, but that night at the trunk show, I always like, like think back on it and bring it up because it was such, I've never experienced that level of euphoria and excitement of there is something here and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And just watching the girls try on the pieces and compliment each other. And just that feeling of like happiness and joy that the creations and the things you designed, people are loving and wearing and buying. Like, you know, I think your first experience of that as a product-based business is just so euphoric. I think that feeling um, will never, you'll never forget that feeling of your first customer or the first time you have a really successful event. It kind of stays with you. It's just pure bliss, honestly. So I don't think we've told anyone listening what you're brand what the letters stand for so do you want to say what FYB yeah, so, stands for? sure so FYB stands for follow your bliss and I think it's you know it sounds like a simple phrase but honestly it's so much more than that to me following your bliss is not just about doing what makes you happy or follow your passion it's so much deeper than that it's about following your gut following your intuition mm-hmm. because I think your bliss is equal to who you are on the inside like for example you know there's that little voice inside of you that always knows what's right And I think for me, you know, I followed my bliss in taking a chance with starting a jewelry business with zero dollars, you know, broke college girl, like psychology major, and I did it anyway. And I think it's so, you know, I think it took a lot of guts because there definitely was a lot of people that were probably like, oh, like what? What Even my own parents, my mom was like, what? You know, why are you getting the psychology degree? What am I paying for your college tuition for? What do you, like, how are you going to make a living off of jewelry? And had I listened to all these little voices and that, you know, now my parents are very supportive and very proud of me, but I think at the beginning they were very concerned of like, how are you actually going to make a living doing this? Um, but I just like stuck true to it. I believed in it. I knew my vision. Yeah. I would say you just have to really like follow your bliss to me, um, is really staying true to who you are and listening to your gut mm. because you always know what's best for you. And this ties in really beautifully to another piece of jewelry that you have, which is the wildflower necklace. And the quote that goes with this is, like wildflowers, you must allow yourself to grow in all the places people never thought you would. And just from hearing you talk about the naysayers along the way and even your parents not really understanding what your vision was and how it would work, but really staying true to who you are, that's incredible and is a really wonderful lesson for everyone listening. But as well as the ability to block out the noise... There's also internal dialogue that goes on, and I think that that can be even more destructive at times. So what is your relationship like with self-doubt and fear of judgment? That is an, honestly, it's a growing process. I would say through my 20s, and I still struggle with this. I think as the years go by, I have grown more confident in who I am and you know my own self-worth and my own belief in myself to accomplish certain things. I think in any stage of life, um, with your career, with your personal life, there's always going to be those moments when you hit a stage of like, am I enough or is this good enough? And that just means you're growing. You're pushing yourself beyond a boundary that you were previously comfortable with. And I think for me, the inner dialogue has definitely been tough. I mean, I'm very hard on myself. I think my biggest lesson or one of the biggest things I've come to realize is that you really have, you cannot compare yourself to anyone. Yeah. Everyone's journey is so different, you know, and that is cliche advice, but it is so true. And I feel like we're all too often too guilty of it, especially with social media, you kind of peer into anyone's life, what they're doing and look at their highlight reel, but you don't know the behind the scenes. You don't know what's actually going on in that person's life. 
and your success will come to you when you're ready for it. And you cannot compare, like it's the most destructive, like joy sucking thing you can do. The journey of self-confidence and self-esteem and believing in yourself, it's not something that you're necessarily born with. I think it's a journey. And I think confidence comes from doing the work and then doing the work and getting that feedback builds your own self-esteem because then you realize, you know what, I got this. Like I just sold a hundred units of that necklace that I thought maybe wasn't good enough, you know? Yeah. The, the proof is in the pudding. And with all of the twists and turns of, and turbulence of emotion, you've said that entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart and that you need to have a thick skin. Why do you have a thick skin? I think my thick skin comes from my Asian tiger mom. <laughs> I think with my mom, like it really, it really stems from her. Like she was so tough and very tough on me. You know, a B was unacceptable. I had to get A's. You know, and I was a really like good kid. I never, I never had to worry about that, but it was because I was terrified of my mom, like disappointing her because of how much she sacrificed coming here and to give me a better life. I think I had an added level of stress and pressure. Yeah. Um, and also just like, you know, when you have a strong parent and you witness it firsthand, you, you really don't know anything else. It's like, you know, there was no, oh, you can be lazy and just like not do the work. Like there, that was not acceptable in my mm. house. So I think having my mom's like, you know, voice in my head being like, just do the work, work hard, you'll achieve it. And, you know, I think that has been a huge influence on me having a parent that's really confident and strong. Yeah. I would say my mom is like one of the biggest influences of that mentality for me. And also a a part of this business is learning to not take things personally. And you've said that your soul and FYB are intertwined. So this can be really difficult at times. So how do you come to terms with this and protect your heart and your feelings? I would say, you know, at the end of the day, business is business, right? And you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea and you're not trying to be everyone's cup of tea. You know, there's one marketing slogan. It's like, you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. And same thing with like, with business in general, I think like reaching out for collaborations or for press or, you know, when you're reaching out to like, you know, heavy hitter type accounts, you know, like there was a chain store a couple of years ago that I really wanted to work with. And they like wrote an order. They got me all excited. We were going back and forth on pricing. They ended up canceling and not moving forward with the order, which was devastating because it was like a a location that had like, I think six stores. And then um, we ended up getting into a bigger chain account that has 30 locations. So that's another lesson on that note is, you know, if one door closes, it's that path is not meant for you. I think the quote is like, rejection is redirection. So rejection is redirection. It's directing you down a path you weren't meant to go down. And that's how Sam has really helped me too, because he's such a numbers guy. He's, he's the COO. We run the business together and he's kind of gives me that, that perspective of like not looking at things with so much emotion and just making decisions with a clear head. You, you have to have like emotion and passion in what you're doing, but in certain moments, like it's okay to leave the emotions out and just try to be more, you know, objective about things. Yeah, but it's, it's hard to draw the line. So it's great that you're such a dynamic duo together and have that contrast to really harness. You're listening to the Lila Joe show. I love your live inspired bracelet, which says there's always beauty for those who choose to see it. So when is a time when you chose to see the beauty when it was really hidden behind darkness and distress? I think my childhood has been a really hard thing for me. So my parents divorced when I was 10 and they had a very tumultuous marriage and I love my dad and I have a different relationship with him. But part of me, like, I don't know, it's just been like a hard thing, I think through my childhood, my teenage years. And it's not until now at turning almost 30 that I have a relationship again with my dad. But there was a point in time where we weren't speaking 
and not that we weren't like speaking for any reason other than he had moved away, um, wasn't really in my life anymore. We would talk on the phone, but we weren't seeing each other as much. And that was really hard for me going from being like a daddy's girl mm-hmm. to then having a father that was not in the picture as much. We got remarried, had my little sister who I adore, you know, kind of felt like you started over a new life and you're not here for me anymore. We also later learned that my dad is bipolar and he wasn't diagnosed with mental illness until he was in his late forties, if not early fifties. So there, like most of my childhood, he was suffering from bipolar uh, manic and depressive episodes and we didn't realize it. You know, I'm so happy that in today's world, like anxiety, depression, like mental, mental health awareness has become more normalized. But I think my dad grew up, you know, with a family and an upbringing that they kind of like, oh, he's not mentally ill or like, he's fine. Like there's no reason for him to see a therapist. Um, so he was undiagnosed for many years and there were moments in my childhood, though I have those happy, positive memories of my dad from the summers together, there was also a lot of like fighting and dark times. Um, and my parents both also struggled financially a lot. You know, my dad kind of had jobs here and there. He wasn't working for a while. My mom had to be the breadwinner and she was working her butt off. You know, can you imagine being a doctor in China coming here and having to like start from the bottom up making mm-hmm. nothing and having to struggle? And it just was really hard for her. So my, there are moments in my childhood that were pretty dark, memories of them fighting, my mom crying, financial struggles, moving around. You know, it was not by all means an easy childhood. I did not grow up going on fancy vacations or being able to afford nice things. Like I started to resent the childhood that I had and I was almost ashamed about it. I think I grew up with a lot of shame and wanting to repress those memories, meeting you know friends in high school and college that didn't have broken backgrounds or maybe they had a lot of money growing up and they didn't, never knew what it was to truly struggle. You know, there's one memory I have where my mom and I were food shopping. I think I was like six years old and she was literally buying like bruised fruit, like fruit that was going slightly bad because it was cheaper than like fresh produce. You know, that's the kind of like struggle and sacrifice we had to make. And it just was, you know, there were moments that were definitely dark. And I think I had a lot of shame around that. But now that I look back on that and what I went through, I'm grateful that I did have that childhood because it made me stronger and more appreciative. I think that I wouldn't have this level of like, empathy for others had not had the childhood that I had. I think I'm more open-minded. I think I see people for who they really are. It really taught me to see character and see people for their true colors. I think I have like a really sharp intuition for that. And also like this whole idea of not having to struggle financially, like I have such a fire within me to be successful, to eventually be able to take care of my mom and provide a nice life for her. She's retired now, but I dream of one day like buying a beach house where she can just come and hang out. And because she works so hard and sacrificed so much for me that it's my ultimate desire in life is to make her proud, you know? Yeah. Um, and it really, I don't think I'd be this driven had I not had to go through so much like grit as a kid. Yes. And grit is such a superpower and, and you're so, ins- you're inspiring me so much right now, Alyssa. And I'm just so thrilled for everyone listening and all that they're learning from you. And I'm wondering, cause I study psychology now and especially with your background there with your dad's bipolar, is there any possibility that, the ups and downs of that disorder equipped you for the ups and downs in the business world and having to react and respond and not being able to anticipate his mood? I think so. I think, um, I know it's hard to say because honestly, when we lived together, I was so little. I was, my, my dad moved out when I was 10 and I think I just was like scared and, you know, I'd be like, Oh, my dad is like really happy today. This is great. You know, and we'd go to Toys R Us and it'd be like a happy day. And then he would have a depressed day or he'd have like a manic day where he would just be so angry. And that to me was frightening. But I think in general, my childhood, the experience of my dad has definitely given me a thicker skin where everything I have, I've had to work for. Nothing was ever given to me. I don't have the luxury of having 
you know, a dad that just can provide things for his daughter. Like if anything, I'm the one like helping him today, you know? Mm. So I just had to grow up faster than I think most children did. And you touched on this earlier and I want to dive into it a little bit, the theme of comparison, because it's so common, so prevalent and really harms a lot of people, especially with social media and all of that. And your beautiful Be Bold bracelet says, be a voice, not an echo. When were you an echo in your life and what did this do to you? I feel like in high school, to be honest, so I went to Catholic school growing up from like preschool through eighth grade. And then I went to public high school. I kind of went into it like nervous, intimidated. I went from being in like a school where I had the same 40 kids in my class from preschool through eighth grade to going to a high school with 4,000 kids, which was very intimidating. And I think I kind of latched on to not really finding who I was, trying to fit in too much, like not putting enough emphasis on self-discovery and like who I was. Like I didn't, I felt like I didn't have my own identity and I ended up dating guys in high school where I just became like their girlfriend. It really hit me at a party one time. I think I was a junior in high school where I really realized how much I lacked self-identity and had passions outside of just being boy crazy, you know? And I think a lot of that was probably rooted in like issues with like abandonment with my dad leaving and needing like a male figure. I don't know. I think I can, as a psychology person, I can probably like honestly admit that I think that had to do with part of it, why I was so boy crazy and just needed attention. But I remember being at a party and someone was like, oh, this is so-and-so's girlfriend. They didn't introduce me by my name. And that was such a moment that I'll never forget of feeling like, who am I? Like, I am an individual. I'm a person myself. I'm not just that person's sidekick. So I think in high school, I definitely felt like I just was an echo. Like I wasn't really doing anything to stand out. I wasn't doing anything that I was passionate about. I just kind of was going through the motions of high school. And I think Mm -hmm. the younger and the sooner you can figure out who you are and have interests and passions outside of just your friends and boyfriends and school, like really thinking about things sooner than later is the best thing you can do. Like I almost wish I had that feeling of being lost when I was in high school, not college and figured out what I wanted to do sooner because who knows, you know? Yeah. So, but this also goes with like finding your own uniqueness as a person, but for you as a brand. So what is the unique essence of FYB? I would say the unique essence of FYB is that it's meant to feel like a big sister. That's how I always describe the brand. I feel like our brand voice, our mission, our, our even our product, like you mentioned, like the bracelets that we have with different mantras, it's really meant to be that big sister or mentor or friend you wish you had that inspires you to be your best self, mm-hmm. that says the right thing when you're going through a tough time, that guiding light. And I feel like that part of the brand is what resonates with others more than anything. Like, yes, we have really cute, trendy pieces and People love the jewelry, but it's more about what we stand for. And it's more about that like secret sauce of connection and emotion and heart behind the brand. And that's how I describe it. It's really like a big sister. Mm. And um, we have one charm that's called Unbreakable. And it says strength comes from overcoming the things you once thought you couldn't. And I feel like that, you know, I've had people buy that bracelet for family members that are going through chemo or someone going through a hard time with infertility or someone that, you know, went through a bad breakup, whatever it is, like a reminder that you are strong those sentiments, again, that heart and soul connection is something that makes our brand different and people really resonate with it. Mm. I, I'm really inspired by the the sense of community that your brand has. And I'm wondering, well, one quote that I also speak of often is comparison is the thief of joy. And you, you kind of paraphrased that earlier. And I also think that comparison breeds unhealthy competition. So why do you think that nowadays people are drawn to 
female rivalry instead of community? And how does your brand cultivate sisterhood to combat this? I feel like competition is a waste of time. Honestly, it's just a waste of time. The key to success is collaboration because everybody knows something that you don't. Every brand company person has something to offer that you don't, whether it's their their network or their connections or their knowledge. Don't like copycat what others are doing. I think if you do something in your own way, there's always room for more. Um, And finding brands that you align with on maybe their values or their mission, it could both be like, say, um, it's like a jewelry collaboration. I can partner with someone that's not doing exactly what I'm doing and we can grow and support each other in a non-competing way. I feel like with our brand, um, with our ambassador program, it's all about kind of connectivity and like working together. So pre-COVID, we used to have pop-ups on different college campuses. Girls would post them with their sorority sisters. Um, like for example, at Delaware, there's this thing called You Dress Magazine, which is like the local fashion magazine for the students. And we'd always have a table there and we would invite girls, you know, from whatever sorority or whatever grade they were in, if they were an ambassador, they all were invited to like work the table together and really bring them together. So it's not just like clicky. It's like you're meeting friends who maybe wouldn't have met before. So I would say like through that, encouraging girls to come together and support each other is a huge way. Collaboration is everything in business, especially. And this goes the same for mentorship. And you've mentored over 500 girls with this brand ambassador program, which is so incredible. And I'm wondering, how have you seen mentorships be mistreated? And how do you make sure that there's that genuine, authentic connection? So I think, you know, and I've even gotten asked this a lot, like, oh, can, I, can we get coffee or can I can we do lunch or whatever? And it just feels like take, take, take. Yeah. Where, um, I don't know, like I've had that happen to me a few times where someone reaches out and it just feels like a one-way street. It's like they want all my connections and want me to, want me to in- intro them to like all these accounts that I have or people that I know. And there's no like, how can I help you also? Not that everything has to be tit for tat, but I think approach it from a place of like gratitude and like, how can I also help them? Whether it's like, maybe I have insight on a younger demographic that I'd love to chat with you about. You can pick my brain or like, you know, I would love to intro you to my mom's friend who has a store. When you want true mentorship, you should really focus on the friendship with that person, you know, and staying in touch and not just reaching out when you need something, but also checking up on them. How are you doing? How's your family? Like, you know, just being like authentic and genuine about that connection. I think one barrier to that authentic connection is that young people often put their mentors on a pedestal and really don't recognize the value that they can bring to the table. So in your personal experience, how did you discover what is it that you could give? And what advice do you have for people listening that are struggling to identify that themselves? I think for me personally, it's like looking at what I've accomplished, like building a business, being in business for nine years, having, you know, the retail partnerships that I have, having the ambassador program that I have, knowing like what I bring to the table is like understanding like what I've accomplished. Yeah. I would say like, I just look at my own experience and what, what I've learned lessons I've gone through that I would like you know, not want to repeat or mistakes I've made in business, but I'm talking to someone that's just starting out. It's like, here's what not to do. Here's what you should do. Yeah. You know, like keep it simple, know your numbers, like know how to mark things up properly. Um, I love giving that kind of advice because I wish someone told that to me when I was first starting out, for example. And so it's really just a case of owning your unique story and mm-hmm. identifying the skills that you've gained along the way through trial and tribulation. And one part of your story, which has I mean, it's the name of your brand is following your bliss. So how do you know that you are following your bliss and how do you get back on track if you deviate? 
So I think for me, I love what I do. I wake up every day excited. Granted, there are definitely moments when I'm very stressed and I'm like, what am I doing? But, you know, for the most part, I really love my career. I'm like, I feel so lucky and grateful even to like have a showroom in Brooklyn, which is something that I've always dreamed of having. Mm-hmm. Um, working with the stores that we work with, just seeing it out there, the customers that we have. I just enjoy the people that I work with and do business with. Um, so I feel like I am like I have followed my bliss and I am on the right track because I do feel like this was fated for me and I am following my passion and like I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else other than this at this, in this point in time. Oh. Who knows, down the line, maybe I'll start a different business or maybe, you know, who knows, maybe my future daughters will take over the company and I'll retire young. That's my dream to have daughters and have them take over. Oh. But I think, um, you know, moments where I'm feeling down and out, I think you just have to always stay focused um, and be in the present moment and like appreciate how far you've come. And I think having a gratitude board and a vision board has been like two of the most important tools in my life, for sure. So what is a gratitude board? So a gratitude board, so you've heard of vision boarding and like manifesting, where you kind of make like a mood board of like your dreams and goals. And I make mine really specific. Like I'll print out logos or like names of like stores I want to be in or press features I really want to have or... Like right now I have a picture, um, cause we're getting married next year. I have like dream wedding inspiration. I'm like, this is how I want to feel on the wedding day. This is like my dream home. Like this is the kind of office I want to get next. Like just having pictures that feel real and being realistic yeah. with yourself because you know, if you put things on there that you feel in your heart, you can't achieve, or you feel like you won't be able to achieve the universe will say, okay, your wish is my command. You're never going to achieve that, you know, dream big, but also within your belief system, you need to really believe you deserve and will earn those things or will have those things one day. So that's part of it. So things you're working toward, it's kind of like your roadmap to where you're headed. Your gratitude board is a nod to how far you've come. And it's a a nod to what you have in your life, what you have already. So, and that is the crucial part of it. You can't just think about what you want and not focus on what you already have. Gratitude is like the secret sprinkles on top that make it all come together. So my gratitude board has pictures of my family, my friends, of moments, vacations that I've had, milestones in the company. I even have a screenshot of one of the first big checks we, we ever had. It's like one of my biggest orders. And it, like, I have a screenshot of that check, just like little reminders. And honestly, through the years they've changed and it's so satisfying to like cross things off once you've accomplished them. I just pull up both of those boards and it brings me right back to, okay, this is why you're working so hard. You want to achieve these things. And this is why, you know, you should be grateful today. Stop being a brat. Stop being like so hard on yourself. Look at how far you've come and look at how many people in your life love you and care about you. I'm doing um, this. I'm going to do just, that. It just this keeps weekend. you reminded yeah. of where you're headed. And I think it's it's really exciting and empowering to make vision boards and to dream big and to have daring dreams. But it's so important to stay rooted in in appreciation and also staying present and acknowledging all that there is already. So I think that this is a really powerful tool that you have going on. And I know that you've said that your biggest struggle is anxiety. So I'm wondering how anxiety shows up as an obstacle on the path of bliss. I think anxiety for me, it comes in waves because I have days when I feel really focused and excited and I'm like, I'm going to take on this day like nobody's business. And then I have days where I feel paralyzing stress and a lot of my anxiety is related to work, just feeling like I'm behind, I'm not making my deadlines. So for me, um, I think anxiety has been a roadblock to success in a lot of ways by just not getting, like not being efficient or productive because I'm feeling anxious and days like that. I just learned to like take a step back, meditate, go for a walk, like go get a massage, do something that like kind of grounds me and like makes me declutter my mind and that I can, you know, go back to working with more focus. 
But yeah, anxiety can be very paralyzing and it's very real. And a lot of people deal with it. I have a lot of friends that deal with it. It's, we talk about it. It's not something that you can like let go away entirely. It will always be there for me at least, even though I'm working through it, but I'm okay with it. I've accepted I have anxiety. And on the days I'm feeling anxious, I will meditate or do something to kind of try to smooth it out. Um, and I think it's just learning your own self and learning what tools help you personally through it, whether it's writing or putting on good music or treating yourself to a brownie, whatever it is, you know, it's kind of like PMSing. It's like you just let yourself have the treat and then, you know, you just snap yourself out of your bad mood. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of having those different options to go to if something doesn't work. Like sometimes I listen to Headspace, sometimes that really doesn't work. And it's about going for a walk instead or having a hot bath or just paying attention to what I'm thinking or seeing or feeling or smelling all the different senses. So one piece of jewelry before we wrap up our workout is the perseverance necklace which is inspired by the lotus flower and i know that this has a lot of meaning for you in your life so the quote here is the flower that blooms in adversity is the most rare and beautiful of them all so tell me about the meaning that the lotus flower has for you in your own life and how this necklace would really serve as a reminder for you yeah so there is this old proverb in Chinese culture and it's you can actually probably pull it up but it's all about how the beautiful lotus grows from the mud like no mud no lotus this idea that like beauty can come from dirt and hard circumstances and I think for me it's really relevant in my mom's life and my life and having kind of a tough upbringing moments of like financial insecurity and stress my parents fighting my dad's mental illness like and realizing that from all that hardship my mom it was me she always describes it as like you know it was all to have you that's why I came here and went through everything I went through was to have my daughter um and for me it's like all of that hardship everything that I went through wouldn't have made me as strong as I am to maybe even have this business or have the career that I have or have the fire and the drive that I have to want to make a difference and want to help other girls learning to see the beauty in all things no matter how hard no matter how tough mm-hmm. and having that grit you know that determination to friggin pull through the mud and blossom to your best self the most beautiful things truly come from the hardest circumstances and i think that's something that is hard to see at times because everyone has their own story and their own situations some more devastating than others but if you can choose to see the beauty in things no matter how hard they are it makes life a lot easier to get through and then you you really do start to see like the reasons they may have happened, you know, mm-hmm. there's always a reason. Yes. And, you know, even if at times it's hard to believe or think about, I feel like if you try to find the lesson learned or the circumstances that came out of it, that's for the better. Then again, you just kind of can really get through life with much more strength and determination. And it actually reminds me of the gratitude board of looking at the hardships that allow for those beautiful flowers and in contrast to the vision board. So I have this question that I always ask my guests to finish the workout and it's so pertinent to you and and everything that you do in your life and it's the five-year vision. So I want you to imagine your dream life five years from now. What are you doing? Who are you with? And where are you? I would say Sam and I have moved away. Or actually, maybe not. Part of me goes back and forth. Part of me thinks that we'll stay in Brooklyn forever. I'll be like a cool Brooklyn mom. And then part of me thinks we'll move upstate, like Hudson Valley area. We'll have like a really pretty home. I would say I'm a mom. Like I think we want to start having children relatively young. So hopefully have like a healthy child. And we have a bigger headquarters, maybe a little storefront. And um, our company, our team is bigger. We have like an amazing, passionate team. 
and I'm still designing. I would say I'm still doing the business. We're just bigger. Mm-hmm. I think at that point, maybe we're sold in more stores. We're more of a household name. We have a bigger headquarters. I have my little dog in my lap. <laughs> also, we have a puppy in one lap. I have my child on my arm. And I don't know, I, I see us in nature or I could see us staying in New York. It's hard to say location-wise. We've been talking about it now that we're getting married and we're, you know, life's about to get very real soon, like talking about next steps and where we're going to live and buying a house. But I would say I'm happy. I'm healthy. Everyone in my life is healthy. And, you know, we're just further along. Like I see myself just being at peace and being really proud of how far we've come. So now we're going to do a quick cool down so that you're not too sore tomorrow after our workout. (laughs) Why were you fluent in sign language in high school? I think it was an elective that just sounded really fun and cool. I'm like, this is a fun life skill. Like, sure. And so um, a few of my friends and I all did it together. And it just was like, and we really loved the teacher, Miss Mistretta. I'll never forget her. She's like one of the best teachers I had. And to be honest, I'm very rusty. Like I remember how to like spell it. I remember certain words. Um, my senior project, the sign language, was learning how to sign language the song Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. So at one point in time, I could fluently do that in sign language. But I worked at a cupcake shop when I was a senior. And a man came in that was deaf. And I was, it was the most rewarding moment. I was able to help him in sign language. And he, the look on his face, he like lit up when he knew that I could communicate with him, that he knew, oh my God, she can understand me. That moment made that entire two years of a sign language elective worth it because it was so rewarding being able to help this guy. But yeah, to be honest, it just was a really fun elective. (laughs) That would be a cool skill to have. But being able to put it into practice in real life too, that must've been so fulfilling. It was so rewarding. It was so rewarding. Your self-love bracelet says, be you, do you, for you. How do you embody this quote in your life? I feel like, again, the older I get, I've just adopted this mentality of like, who cares? Like, I used to care so much how I looked, what people thought of me. I was like, and I think that like fear of judgment was me judging myself. And I think the older I get, I'm just like, F that. Like, I'm going to be 30 this year. Like, who cares? Life is short. And I think I would rather live a life of no regret than looking back with regret of like, I should have, would have, could have. Yes. And I think that also really drives me forward is realizing that I would much rather have tried than to have not tried at all. I love that. What has been the most effective team building activity that you've done with your team at FYB? So we have a ritual of doing like team happy hour. We're like, or we call it team time. We're like Friday around like four or five o'clock, you know, we stop what we're doing and we go out for drinks. And granted, with, like, COVID and everything, you know, a lot of us are working remotely, so we don't really get to do as much of that. But yeah. that's been, like, the most fun thing is doing that team time where, like, you don't talk about work. You just catch up. You have fun. You have a few drinks or you get dinner, and it's just personal connection. Yes. Because I think to succeed with your team, you need to really, be, you know, treat them like family. And that's a lesson that I learned growing up working for that small boutique was, you know, my boss treated me like a daughter. And because of that, I was so loyal to her and I cared about her. It wasn't just like, you're my boss, you pay me. It was like, I am invested in you. I care about you. So I think that was a huge lesson I learned working for small business was treat your staff and your team with love like family. What is your wedding mood board like? What's the aesthetic here? Oh, girl, I have it right up here. I was actually just looking at it earlier. (laughs) So we're getting married at Livewell Farm, which is in Harpswell, Maine. So it's a farm near the ocean. Beautiful venue it's like a rustic so there's a rustic barn where we're going to set up the dance floor um there's gonna be like lots of twinkle lights we're gonna have a tent and then the ceremony garden has hydrangea and daisy bushes lining it so it's very like farm all natural like bohemian um, but also kind of a nod to like 
New England. Like we're going to have, and Maine is famous for their blueberries and, and their lobster. So obviously we're going to have lobster and blueberry themed, you know, things on the menu for the dinner. Um, but we're going to do like blueberry gin cocktails. And for the flowers, I'm thinking like maybe hints of citrus, but like blush and maybe like a lot of green, a lot of, I'm just picturing like a lot of green and like pops of color. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be next summer in Maine. And it's kind of also really, Maine is a special place to both Sam and I, because he grew up going there every summer. Meanwhile, two hours further, I was going to Maine every summer as a small kid. So it's kind of funny to think about like little me and little him, like playing in Maine, like, you know, to later, 20 years later meet and end up getting married. But yeah, Maine has a special place to, in both of our hearts. We got engaged in Maine. We were just there um, a few weeks ago when the engagement happened and Sam actually proposed on the beach where his grandpa proposed to his grandma. Are you kidding so his me? mom was crying. She made me cry. She was like, my dad proposed to my mom here. And it was like such a special moment. So it just came full circle. So yeah. Maine was naturally like the most special place to both of us uh, for the wedding to happen. So. Oh, it sounds so magical and meaningful, which is the best combination. And I can't wait to see photos. My gosh. So we have Thank two you. more questions. Firstly, this is going to be a tough one, but what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote, I would say everything you want is on the other side of fear is one of my favorite quotes. And that is a quote by, to look it up actually, that is a Jack Canfield quote. Okay. So everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I think about that a lot because I feel like, like we talked about earlier, when you're feeling nervous about the next step, you're doubting yourself. That's because you're pushing yourself to a new level. You know, you've reached your threshold and now you're about to skyrocket to the next stage you're always going to feel fear when you're about to grow because you haven't done it before. You haven't grown to that level yet. You know, the truth is I want what's on the other side of that fear. So am I going to let that fear hold me back or just push through it? Yeah. You know, give it to God and just like go for it. Um, another quote that I really like, which is in a book that I'm reading that I really love. Remember that gal that gave up? Neither does anyone else. <laughs> and that is so, and that's by Marie Forleo, who is like, oh, I love Marie. She is like a life coach. She has a YouTube channel. She has a book that I'm reading that just came out called Everything's Figure Outable. She has a podcast series. She's been on Oprah. She's like, whenever I'm needing like a little boost of inspiration, I'll just listen to her podcast or watch one of her YouTube episodes. She is amazing. And she has that quote on like the last page of her book. And I'm like, yes, this just fires me up. You know, I love that quote. Remember that gal that gave up? Neither does anyone else. I love that. It's kind that. of like, do you want to be that gal? Or do you want to be the gal that is remembered for the legacy she's leaving behind. Yeah, pushing know, beyond the Or the difference fear. that she's making. Yeah. So I guess that's your number one book recommendation then. Was that your answer? Yes, which kind of leads into that. Yeah. So I would say Everything is Figure Outable by Marie Forleo. And this is a book recommendation that I would suggest for any girl or any person listening that wants to start her own business or his own business or is having doubts or is feeling lost about what they want to do. They want to pursue something that they're passionate about. They don't know where to begin. They're feeling like a lot of self-doubt. She... After you read this book, you will feel like you can conquer the world. She oh. is so like motivating and she gives stories from her life where she's very relatable and she gives action items, which I love a good action item. Me too. I like steps. I like bullet points. Like she makes you feel like you can walk away with strong takeaways that make you feel like you've got this. Yes. So that book. And then the, the other book I was going to mention is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, I love that. That book really changed my life. I want you all to just go and read it. I won't even tell you about it. Just read it. I'm telling you. That book changed my life. I actually have it in my apartment, and I haven't read it yet, and I'm going to order the other one. Read it. Read it this week. I'm That's your homework. Tonight. You have to read it. I'm reading it tonight. I'm so excited. And actually, these recommendations will go to everyone listening, but also 
I have a tradition on my show where I give my guest the book that was recommended by my previous guest. So this will go to my next guest. But you have a recommendation from a journalist called Cal Fussman who wrote for Esquire magazine. He interviewed Muhammad Ali, Mikhail Gorbachev, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kobe Bryant. Just the list goes on. Really remarkable man. And he recommended The Alchemist by Paolo Colo. And I haven't read that either. I've been wanting to read that. I have been wanting to read that. There you go. So you have to send me your address and I will send that to you. And oh my God, thank I, you. I've so loved getting to meet you today and to chat with you. I think you've shared so much wisdom today. I've learned so much personally. I'm sure everyone listening is just beyond inspired. And thank you so much for your time. You are so sweet. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I feel like I could talk to you for like another 10 hours. Oh, <laughs> you are so, and I love your questions and I'm so excited and honored to be part of this. So thank you, Lila. Thank you. And I hope we get to meet one day. We need to get together. We I would love to be on person with you. I'm Lila and you've been listening to The Lila Joe Show. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. If you haven't yet, head over to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next time for another episode. Thanks for listening.